Good morning. I want to thank you all for coming today. I almost said grab your bulletin and pull it out, but we don't have that yet. So I have some announcements. You're going to need something to write with or a really good memory. So for most of you, something to write with if you can, all right, if you're like me. But I want to give you some opportunities that we have available for giving, some opportunities for serving, and just some other general things. But I want to ask you right now to start praying, okay, because the, the message that we're going to have tonight, I think, is one that could really have a huge impact on our church moving forward. So I'm asking you to start praying right now. But all right, let me give you some giving opportunities. Now, I know times might be tough for you right now, and you don't have money to give. You can, you know, you do what the Lord leads you. But I want to give you these opportunities if you are looking for a way to tear or if the Holy Spirit speaks to you that you can give to these. We are going to be buying Bibles. Today is the last day we're going to take money for them. We buy life application study Bibles. These are really good Bibles, and they're not as cheap. I mean, you can get Bibles for like a buck, but these are $24. So they're hardback, though. They're small print. We can get you larger print if you need a larger print, though. But in these Bibles, all right, they have the text up here and then some commentary that kind of explains the text. So for a new believer who's reading the Bible, sometimes it doesn't make sense. You know what you're reading, you need a little bit of help. This can help you out. So if you don't have a Bible, these are free. Take one. They're in the back on either side. Take them on your way out. Get up right now and take them. There's a few available. Then we want to buy some more so that we can give them away. All right, so $24. If you want to sponsor a Bible, today's last week. Just put your envelope in there and just put Bible on that um, there. Uh, also, too, uh, this is going to be the last time that I mentioned Benevolence Fund until we get down in that fund. Um, we're, we're down to like 100 bucks. We've had some giving come in. That's a great problem to have, though. That means that we're helping people in the church, giving them money, helping them pay their bills, helping them you know, with car issues and everything like that. So I love that we have that ability. That's what we are called to do as the church. And there are people that we help out that are outside this church. So if you can help out, give towards that, we would appreciate that as well. Then there's back there these, this list, and this is Abigail Pregnancy Service and Miriam House. Abigail Pregnancy Center is a, is a um, uh, what do we call that? Crisis, pregnancy Center, Crisis. Um, but just a ministry, that's what I was word. Ministry that helps people that are looking at having babies. And they also help them afterwards, too. They help them with formula and diapers and feeding and clothes and everything like that. So, um, you know, think about if you're a single mom and you find out you're pregnant and you're like, oh my gosh, that's going to turn your world upside down, right? If you have somebody that you could go talk to about that and they can help you along in that process. Hey, here's the, the vitamins that you need to take. Here's the things that you should be doing. Here's, you know, you should go see the doctor. They'll help them with all of that. So I love being able to support that uh, ministry. So grab a sheet and look for the things, some of the things that you could purchase for there or give money towards it or, or give money directly to them. We don't care if it comes through here. I'd love for you just to go out and support them. Miriam House is a, another uh, ministry that helps uh, especially mothers who have kids, gives them a place to stay. They can come there and they will help them out. So there's some um, uh, awesome opportunities for, for a mother who's down on her luck and doesn't know what to do, where to go, you know, looking at making tough decisions. Um, this is something that ministers to them and we want to be a part of them as well. All right. Also, House of Hope is another ministry that we just heard about is in need of a van. So they're praying for wisdom and finances to get that van so that they can transport those guys 
who are, are coming through that. Um, we'd love to see them supported as well. So if you want to give towards them, you just write on your envelope what you'd like to give towards and, and give it towards them. All right, so I think those are, those are the financial things that you can, that you can give towards. Um, serving things, all right, where you are having kids free night, kids free night, all right? So if you have kids and you need to get free of them and you're just looking for a break, we want to provide that opportunity just come in, drop them off. I'll throw some dodgeballs at them. You know, they'll be good to go. Maybe you wanted to throw some dodgeballs at them and help serve in that, that respect, or you just want to play hide-and-go-seek or play a board game with them. You know, if you want to be a part of that, uh, we'd love to know that from you. And then if you take advantage of that, we're, we have a poll on Facebook right now trying to find out if Friday night would be better, Saturday night would be better, or Saturday morning. Those are the times that we're looking at. So Adavi is taking on that ministry. If you want to know more about that, or if you have a question, or if you want to tell her Friday night's the best for me, Saturday night's for the best for me, seek out Adavi and tell her about that. Um, we're also looking for people to be on our praise team. That is a team that's going to be praying during the service and at different times. Uh, praying for the pastor up here that's preaching, the people singing, the sound that it runs smoothly, right? Um, the children's church that are going on, we want to be lifting all those people up. Right now, Doug is at another church preaching, all right? So we want to be praying for him as well. And so remember to be praying for that. But we want to put together a team to especially do this. And we're looking for somebody to head it up, somebody that will maybe take us in a, in a better direction and, and look for other opportunities where we can pray and, and read people and, and, and help people out. Um, we also want to provide people with something to pray. Sometimes we don't know exactly what to pray. We'll give you sheets that will help you in that respect as well. That's something that everybody can do. And then we're going to be participating in the food giveaways that are coming up uh, in March. There are at least, I think, four of them coming up, maybe three. But these are things where we can go to, we can grab like 40 boxes from the food giveaway, take them back to the church, and then distribute them to people in need. So I already know of three people that need boxes of food or that could benefit from that. If you, would, if you know somebody that we could deliver food to, get with me. If you could deliver food to somebody and pick these boxes up, get with me because they usually happen while I'm at work and I'm not able to do that. But if you have a truck maybe or something like that and can help out with that, get with me and let me know. All right, uh, last but not least, membership class. All right, we are looking at starting membership class next weekend after church. I'm thinking it's going to be two Sundays. We'll go through kind of maybe three lessons one Sunday and three lessons another Sunday and answer all your questions if you want to become a member of this church, and we'll tell you all, all that it is, what we believe, what we, what we look at, what we don't believe, uh, what we don't know, you know, and, and all those old sort of good things. Uh, but next week after church, We'll provide lunch, probably pizza or something like that. And um, I know there's like six people that are interested. If you're one of those people and that does not work for you, see me and let me know and we'll find another way to do this. All right? I think that's it. All right, would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for the, all the opportunities that we have opportunities to serve, opportunities to give, opportunities to build your kingdom, opportunities to carry each other's burdens. Lord, would you lay some of these on people's hearts and lay an amount to give or something to do to serve in or, or just, Lord, I don't want to say least of all because it's most of all, we pray that you would call people to pray. Lord, we want you to have right away during this service. 
We want our eyes and ears to be open to hear from you. We want to hear from your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak through the people that are about to sing and to anybody else that comes up here. Lord, that you would speak boldly through them. I pray that you would anoint them and touch them and use them. Lord, help us to be the church, though. Call us, continue to call us to be the church and show us each what that looks like. Lord, put a calling on each and every one of our lives. Put people in our paths to reach. Lord, and give us those opportunities. Father, we love you. We give you all praise. For you alone are worthy of that. Lord, let our singing be all about that. Be focused in on that. Lord, we love you and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.
with wonder, awestruck wonder, at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power. Facebook, um, well, for somebody to come up here and read the passage this morning. And as I'm reading that, drinking my coffee yesterday morning, I got this little nudging that, hey, it's supposed to be you. Go up there and read that. And, and I argued with that nudging saying, <laughs> no, it's not supposed to be me. So as the day went on, that nudging was still there. And finally at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, or around about that time, I thought, Surely somebody else has already reached out to James and said that he would do it, or they would do it. So I sent James a text and said, hey, if nobody else has volunteered to do this, I will do it. And I no sooner hit send, and he responded. Awesome. <laughs> so here I am this morning. So, Amen. So it's Mark eight twenty two to 26. Jesus heals a blind man from uh, Bethsaida. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the blind man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. I hope in the future, I, I would like every week to have somebody different read that passage, and I know it can be a little scary, but it's it's good, all right? And if the Holy Spirit leads you 
that should be the direction that you follow, right? That's what we need. We need to be a church led by the Holy Spirit. All right, so thank you. Thank you, Troy, for doing that. Uh, Troy uh, is a person that helps us out every time that we have an, uh, uh, something to, that needs driven, like when we did the hurricane relief things and everything like that. He's been a part of those types of things. He's also going to be moving into uh, becoming a teacher and working towards that, so I'm excited to see that. Troy, I, don't care. I hope you don't mind this, but Troy texted me the other day and asked me a question about a Bible passage. That's the coolest thing ever, too. If you got, if you're, first of all, it tells me he's reading the Bible, right? And then if you got a question for that, do that. Text me. You know, I would love that. And if you can stump me, you get ten dollars, right? <laughs> Just what's that? And John's gonna pay it. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. So I, I love that. Um, I got a text the other day asking me to go off for a beer. All right, and I thought that was the greatest thing ever too that somebody would trust me uh, enough and invite me to that. Um, and you know, isn't that awesome that we have those opportunities to reach out to people and they're comfortable with us and invite us for a beer? Right? All right. Mark chapter eight, beginning at verse twenty-two. The title of this sermon is "Seeking a Second Touch." Seeking a second touch, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to have an altar call at the end of this, and I want you to be praying. And I want you to be, what is the Holy Spirit calling me to do? Where is he calling me to go? All right, be praying about that and be praying for this service. All right, so uh, when I took over as city manager last year on April Fool's Day, all right, uh, one of the things that I underestimated was the amount of information and emails and paperwork that comes across that person's desk, all right? It is, it is nuts, and it's a small town. I can imagine being, you know, in a bigger, bigger city. But I remember, and maybe Dawn can testify this I remember going into previous city manager's offices and seeing mountains of paperwork packed over a foot tall, Eddie. Yeah, packed over a foot tall. No, no jokes. And not just like one stack, multiple stacks in, in, in older city managers that I had worked for and everything. Like that. I remember the city managers telling me, hey, I need this drawing. Can you get this for me and doing that for them? And I remember like seven days later next week, hey, I need this drawing. Oh, I gave that to you. No, you didn't. Okay, I'll give it to you. And then, like, five days later, hey, I need that drawing. Are you ever going to give it to me? And I'd be like, oh, my gosh. So what I would do is I would wait till the city manager went to lunch. I would get the secretary, and we would go through their stacks of paper, and we would find it. And what I like to do was lay all three copies right on the top of his stack just so that he would see it and maybe realize, oh, there is this, this stack. But... Um, there's just a ton of paperwork that comes through here. And I had learned this, this thing to deal with paperwork like that and everything like that um, in the past, but never really had to, had to use it. But in this job, I've had to use this. And there's this thing called uh, this, this system or this idea on how to deal with stuff that. And it's called never touch something twice. Never touch something twice, all right? Information that comes in and everything, you only want to just touch it once. The more you touch it, the more time it takes. Because you're touching it multiple times. Sometimes I get something that comes in that I really don't want to deal with. You know, it's maybe it's a difficult decision or a difficult conversation or something that I don't really know how to do. And so what do I do? I put it on the side of my desk to go through later. All right? The problem is when you put it on the side of your desk, it's still niggling around in your brain. Niggling. I don't know if you... I just heard that word. Just learned that word. But uh, those things that niggle around in my brain... Uh, are the things that usually come up when I'm about ready to fall asleep 
And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got to deal with that thing. I really don't want to deal with that thing. And so they prevent you from sleeping. They take some of your brain capacity away, though, and they just don't let you concentrate on the things that you, you need to do it to deal with. So um, what you need to do is never touch something more than once. And, and that's not entirely true, but it's what you have to practice. So now, when something comes across my desk, all right, if it's something that I can do, I do it right then and there. Whether I want to do it, whether I don't want to do it, um, I do it. If I know how to do it, I take care of it right there. I have a difficult conversation. I have a difficult phone call. I just get it done. Because if I put it there, I know I'm going to come back to it, then come back to it, then come back to it. It's just going to waste too much time. If it's something that I can delegate, all right, maybe something that I can't do, but something that I can delegate to somebody, I delegate it then, right then and there. It's out of my mind. You know, I can let go of that. And then the third type of thing is something that maybe I need to do more research on. Maybe I just don't, maybe I can't handle it right now. I can't delegate it to somebody else. Um, what I do in that case is I schedule a time to come back to it. I put it in my schedule, and I'm like, all right, I know in one week I need to come to it, and I'm going to dedicate some time to do some research or have a meeting and do it that way. At least then, when I do that, it's not niggling around, taking brain capacity, you know, in my head and everything like that. So that's how I've benefited from never touching something twice. Obviously, though, Jesus does not follow that same thing in this situation, right? Because he's touching this guy twice. Obviously, there's something going on. And before we we get into this and before we see this, um, we need to really dig into the context to understand this because Jesus is the master, right? Do you remember another time in Scripture where he touched somebody twice with a miracle? or had to do something twice. No, he always nails it on the first time, right? So there must be something else going on here, and that's what we're going to dig into look, and look at. First of all, Mark's gospel is the only gospel that has this miracle in it. It's the only time that you'll see that. Uh, there are a lot of miracles that are repeated throughout the different gospels, and that's cool because you get to see that miracle from a different set of eyes, a different perspective, and sometimes you get different ideas or different thoughts about that. But this is the only time that you see this. Uh, we also said, right, that this is unique because this is the only time that Jesus does something in stages. And the first time I read this, I was like, that's really weird. It doesn't make sense. I don't get that. This is like the only time where Jesus is doing something that's like C-grade work, right? Normally he's like A+, plus, but this is like C-grade work. He touches the guy and he's like, how is that? How is it? And the guy's like, I can... I can kind of see, but everybody looks like trees, right? Jesus normally nails it on the first time. So what's going on here? Here's what we need to realize. Jesus does not need a mulligan, right? That's, that's not Jesus. Jesus does not need a do-over. Jesus is not having an off day. Well, you know, I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. I didn't push hard enough. I didn't rub it enough spit in your eyes. I didn't spit good enough in your eyes. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, usually I'm better, but you know, for some reason I just didn't quite get it the first time. That is not what's going on here. How do we know that? Well, Jesus is God, all right? He doesn't say whoops. He doesn't say oops. He doesn't make mistakes. Then the only other thing that it could be is that he actually meant to only partially heal this person. Why? Why would he do that? Well, I think he has an object lesson that he wants to teach his disciples. He wants to show them. 
Jesus intended to heal the man's eyes, which is what his friends were seeking, right? And let me just mention this. Uh, Let's just take a second and appreciate that this man has friends who bring him to Jesus, who have faith that Jesus can heal him, right? And that's how he gets to Jesus. We all need friends like that in our lives, right? Amen. Verse 22, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. They brought him and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. I love this picture at the end here. He took him by the hand and led him outside the village because that's what our Lord and Savior did. And maybe you need to hear this right now. All right? Maybe you need to realize that there is a God of the universe who comes down and will grab you by the hand and lead you towards healing. Amen? We have a God who's willing to grab onto our hands and lead us if, if we're willing. So Jesus leads them outside of Bethsaida because Jesus had already sworn off doing any miracles in Bethsaida. He had tried to do some miracles in this area, but he couldn't because he didn't find faith there earlier. When Jesus doesn't find faith, he cannot work in power. Not will not. He cannot work in power. So Jesus had to get the guy out of the city because it was holding him back. And maybe some of you need to hear this too as well. Sometimes the loss of a boyfriend, sometimes the loss of a girlfriend, sometimes the loss of a a friend or a job may seem like a horrible situation to you, but maybe Jesus is drawing you out of that situation because he has something far better for you. Maybe that situation, maybe that person, maybe that job is holding you back. I know I can testify about that. I know it's hard. I know it's devastating when that happens. But in the end, with a little bit of perspective, a little bit of time, maybe you see it was just the thing that you needed to get away from that person. Now, let's go back to the stages question. Why did Jesus touch the man twice. This is all about context, all right? You see, right before this, Jesus has been trying to get the disciples to understand that they were blind, all right? That they were kind of spiritually a little bit dense. He's also trying to get the disciples to understand that the Pharisees were blind. He was trying to get the Pharisees to understand that they were blind, but he was trying to get the disciples to understand that the Pharisees were blind because the disciples saw the Pharisees as the religious elite. But Jesus is saying, no, they're blind too. They're spiritually blind. And at the start of chapter 8, Jesus for the second time feeds thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and some fish. It's the second time he does that. In the first miracle, he feeds 5,000 men, and that doesn't include women and children. In this next miracle, he he feeds 4,000 men plus women and children. And after this miracle, check out this in verse 14, Jesus and the disciples are traveling by boat, and on the second voyage, It says this, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. And Jesus warns them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, and immediately in their mind, they're thinking he's talking about that they only brought one piece of of bread. But right before leaving this for the second voyage, Jesus had an encounter with some Pharisees and got into an argument and just left them. So Jesus was warning the disciples about the Pharisees. But they hear 
they hear yeast and they're thinking, oh man, we only brought one loaf of bread, which I don't know about you, if you, if you do the math, he fed a thousand people with one loaf the one time and, and under a thousand, but a few hundred, right? Or multiple hundreds of people. It's not them, you know, it's not, Jesus isn't talking to them because they forgot the bread or they didn't have any bread, which is what they thought. Verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Check out this. If you have a Bible, underline this. Do you have eyes but fail to see? And ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for 5,000? How many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for 4,000 people, how many basket full of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? The key part of that line, the key line is there, they had eyes to see, but they failed to see. You're blind, but you're not blind. And that's what, that's what is right before this miracle happens. This is what Jesus is showing them. He's showing them and he's showing us that we can be in a place where we see, but we don't see. And we need a second touch. We need to go deeper. This is a a touch that we should be seeking. This is a touch that we should be desperate for. This blind man is a picture of where a lot of Christians are at today. They're stuck between touches. They're living content with the first touch. But God wants them to go deeper. God wants us to go deeper. If you are a believer, God touched you, right? God touched you and touched me at one point and and did a miracle and He set us free of condemnation, set us free from our sins. He saved us, right? The first touch is amazing. The first touch for this guy is amazing. He was blind and now he can see, right? He can see light coming into his pupils. He can see that. It's incredible. It's the first time that he's seen color and light. And when we come to faith, we were dead, right? And we come alive. We were blind, but we now can see. Here's the thing, though. We don't often fully see. We don't see like we should but we see. Then this is a dangerous place to be, right? This is a dangerous place to be because we might be kind of alive and so amazed that we can see we don't realize there's more. There's more. It gets clearer. It gets better. We're just happy to see trees. We're just happy to see bits and pieces and we think we have enough of God, right? We don't want to be like one of those Jesus freaks. Friends, some of you in here have had the first touch, but you haven't had the second touch. And I'm telling you, there is more. There is more. There is far more. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression, has a whole chapter on this miracle. And he says, many people seem to know enough about Christianity to spoil their enjoyment of the world, right? And yet they don't know enough to feel happy about themselves. There are a lot of miserable Christians 
because they're stuck after the first touch. They need that second touch. That's where some of you are living right now, stuck between touches. Not quite blind. You can see a little bit, but men look like trees. You can stop there. That's your choice. Partially developed, partially seeing. You can walk away kind of half done, but there's more. Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. In other words, come on, let's grow up. Right? Let God touch you again and, and take you deeper. Paul was addressing this in Corinth a lot. All right? Corinth was like baby church. You know, just filled with a bunch of babies. And, and if you can turn to this passage real quick, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, because it's super important. I want you to underline three parts of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. I'll give you a, a minute to find it. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning at verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, listen to this, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world. Underline, you belonged to this world. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world. Or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still, underline this, controlled by your sinful nature. That's a part of your inward being. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Underline that last part. Aren't you living like people of the world? This church had a group of people that were stuck between touches. They were touched once and could sort of see. They were blind, but not blind. And I spent decades in this place. I spent decades in this place. I didn't even know you could move beyond this. And like I said, there are a lot of Christians here. And you can tell because there's no difference between them and what they look like than what anybody else in the world looks like. We just read that in this passage. They're stuck at the spit stage. Verse 23, He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? All right, so if you're like me, it sounds pretty gross, right? Sorry, not sorry. Is that how you use that? Jesus spit in the guy's eyes. Now, what you don't know or what you might not realize is it, it was very interesting back there that in rabbinical literature, all right, the saliva of a respected rabbi was supposed to have um, medicinal qualities, all right? Don't ask me where that comes from. Weird, but let's be honest, right? Your mama did a lot with spit, 
right on a hanky. So don't be saying it's all gross and all weird when you had that spit upside your face and she was taking care of business with that. All right? Fix you right up. Here's the thing, though. Jesus was using something that people thought was safe and secure, a rabbi's saliva. Jesus asked, then asked, do you see anything? Jesus knew the answer to this. Do you see anything? I can see people, but they look like trees. I can see perception, but he lacked perspective. Jesus does not want you to stop at just being saved. He wants you to be sent. This last series that we did, three, three weeks in a row, right, was all about unleashing the church, all about getting us to get out of our comfort zones, to get out of the rut, and to be the church and to build the kingdom, right? And we said, God did not just save, did not just save you so that you could just sit there and not do anything, just so that you could go to heaven. He has a plan. He has a will for your life. He will tell you, hey, I want you to go read that passage at church. He will speak to you. He will give you things to do. He wants you to be moved from being introduced to Jesus to walking with Jesus, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, building the kingdom. How's your walk with Him? How's your walk with Him? Is it non-existent? Are you just surviving? Do you constantly keep getting knocked down? He wants you to thrive He wants you to have a full life with joy overflowing. Don't get stuck between the touches because that's where people get jaded. And that's where you see Christians a lot today too. The novelty of being able to see kind of wears off and eventually we have to be honest with ourselves. Man, I I can see, but I really can't see. It's blurry. I keep bumping into stuff when I'm walking around. I keep falling down. I keep struggling with this sin, right? Right? Is this all there is to Christianity? There's got to be something more. I'm kind of miserable trying to follow the rules. If that's your Christianity, that you're just trying to follow the rules, you're doing it wrong. You're stuck after that first touch. You need the second. God has another touch for you if you'll seek it. The spit stage can be jaded or, or you can make you skeptical because you see other Christians. They, they seem to have something else. They seem to be more content. They seem to have more joy. And you're wondering, what do they have that I don't have? They have these experiences. So you're, you don't believe them. Uh, they're just faking it, right? Or you go to the other end of that spectrum and you just might start to pretend that you're the same way. Oh, yeah, I've got it all together. I don't make any mistakes, right? Oh, you sin? Oh, I don't sin right? I can see clearly. I don't have any problems. Life is full, and it's all just hypocrisy. You're faking it. The danger of faking it is you often come across hypocritical and judgmental. If you got to follow the stinking rules that the church has, man, everybody should have to follow those. And if I'm miserable, you should be miserable, right? It's the Pharisee Oh, thank God I'm not like that sinner. You pretend to have a good relationship with God, but you don't. You don't hear from Him. It's just about following the rules, and you're miserable with those. I spent way too long just focusing in on following the rules and failing and following and failing and following and failing, and and it's just miserable. 
Sometimes you see people preaching this legality and this, this follow the rules type of things. And they come across that they never mess up, right? They never make mistakes. Usually there's no compassion. Usually there's no grace, no humility in their message. It's just hypocrisy. There's no being just awestruck by the wonder and grace of God. My friends, God does not want you to be hard, disheartened, does not want you to be miserable. He wants you to be dissatisfied, though, with where you're at. He wants you to be dissatisfied with where you're at. He wants to stretch you. He wants to take you deeper. But you have to allow Him. You have to want it. You've got to be desperate for it. Don't you feel like there's something more? Don't you feel like there should be something more? Paul ran the race and ran the race well, the Bible tells us. He ran it well because he was always reaching towards the finish line. He was always pressing on. He was always pushing forward. He was never content with where he was. He was always going for it. Remember when Jacob wrestled with God? He wouldn't let go, right, until God blessed him. He wouldn't let go until God blessed him. Are you dissatisfied enough with this life to wrestle with God until he touches you, until he blesses you? Or do you got five minutes for him, ten minutes for him if I'm not busy, right? Yeah, I can squeeze in that time. Are you willing to, willing to wait there till you hear from him? Are you willing to spend that time? Are you desperate, man? I need to hear from you. God, with this situation. I'm dealing with this situation that's totally beyond my control, and I don't know what the heck to do with it. Man, I need you to do something in this. Will you wait, or are you just going to move on? Are you tired today? Do you feel like you're at the end of your stuff? Good. Right? Good. I hope you are. That means you're ready. You're ready for God to fill you. Maybe you're ready for God to fill you again. Right? Or maybe you're ready to take a second step. Maybe you're ready for God to use you. Maybe you're ready for God to speak to you. Maybe you're ready for God to show you something new. What does it take to get to the second step? You've got to have desire. You've got to want it. You've got to be looking for it. Right? You've got to be desperate for it. Desperate for change. You've got to be so sick and tired of this, this life and all that is and all that it is that you got to want something new. The other part is you have to have candor or honesty. This is very important. All right? Here we see Jesus, busy person, right? Drops everything to walk this guy out of town. Like I said, I love this picture of Jesus. He meets us right where we're at, right? He meets us right where we're at. He doesn't, this guy doesn't have to get things cleaned up or do anything like that. He meets this guy right where he's at. Are you working through a hangover this morning? Were you up late last night looking at porn? Did you have another blowout or argument this morning? He'll take you by the hand. Is your marriage in shambles? Are you struggling with your identity? Are you just a jerk most of the time? He'll take you by the hand. And he'll open your eyes so that you can see. That's our Jesus. He pursues after people. He takes this guy by the hand. 
and touches him so that the guy can see. And Jesus says, do you see something? This is the question. This is the question. Jesus doesn't lead him on to make him think that there's more, right? He's not like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you to where this is. He doesn't give him anything, any indication of that, that there's anything more, right? This kind of puts the guy in a difficult spot. You ever received a gift and you didn't quite like it? And that person who gave it to you is like, what do you think? Do you like it? I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like, yeah, I loved it. It's great. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Apparently, my kids do not have problems with telling the truth there. They will let you know. Mm, don't really like it. You like this food? No, don't like it. All right? My grandma knew I loved cheesecake. Man, I love cheesecake. Cheesecake, that's my thing, right? And she would always make me this cheesecake, but it was tangy. All right? it, was, it was a tangy kind of cheesecake. I don't even know what that is. You know, I tried looking it up to see if there's some kind of special cheesecake. You, know, you would not believe how many different styles of cheesecake there are. All right? But she would make this cheesecake, and it was tangy. And the first time she made it, she said, how do you like it? And I said, what do you say to your grandma? Right? <laughs> what do you say to your grandma? Grandma, I love it. It's great. Right? I guarantee you the next, I don't know how many years, I had that same cheesecake every time for my birthday when I went over there. How do you respond to God when he gives you sight and you can kind of see, but you're also still kind of blind? How do you respond to God when you're still struggling with sin? Do you have the candor? Do you have the honesty to go talk to him about it and say, I'm struggling with this, Lord. I cannot get past this. Do you have the candor? Do you have the honesty to go talk to your brothers and sisters in the church? No. A lot of times we don't. We hide that stuff, right? We don't want other people knowing about that stuff. My friends, if you want the second touch, if you want to move forward and get past something that you're struggling with, the Bible says confess it. You have to confess it. If you don't, you're fighting a battle by yourself. I spent too many years fighting that battle, embarrassed to confess what I was dealing with, those things that I was dealing with. There's no way I'd tell anybody in the church what I was dealing with. And then one time I did, and guess what I found out? The same thing that I was struggling with is the same thing that a bunch of my friends were struggling with. You've got to have candor. You've got to have honesty. This is saying, Lord, I'm struggling with this sin. I'm struggling with this addiction. Right? I'm struggling with these thoughts. I'm frustrated. I'm desperate for a second, ch- for a second touch. Some people are content to pretend that they don't struggle with stuff. Content to pretend that they have it all together. But some people confess it and share it and Think about that. When somebody trusts you enough to confess something, what do you do, man? You're there for them, right? I'm going to help you with that. It's probably going to be something that you dealt with that you know how to get through. That's how God usually works it. Either that or you're dealing with it, and together you're going to get through that. My friends, you've got to confess it, though. God wants you to be dissatisfied with your current level of spiritual sight. He wants you to be dissatisfied. 
He wants you to be candid about it. I'm struggling. I'm falling, right? Not to pretend like everything's rosy. It's not fine if you can't see clearly, all right? I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you ever had this taught to you, but there are three stages of salvation, three stages, and I just want to go through these really quick. I won't spend a lot of time here. The beginning stage is justification. That's when you get saved. That's when you realize you're a sinner, right? And the only hope for you is in a God of the universe who died on a cross for you and paid the price for your sins, and you entrust your life to him. You say, God save you. Remember the person that was crucified on the cross next to Jesus. Jesus, remember me, right? God save me. That's the first part. That's where he, he forgives us. The last part is glorification. That's when we die and we get made perfect. We get new bodies. Can't wait, right? Mine's going to be buff. And <laughs> we're perfect. In between there, though, is something called sanctification. Sanctification is a second touch. So with justification, we're freed from the penalty of sin, right? We're freed from the penalty of sin. With sanctification, we're free from the power of sin over our lives. Justification, free from the penalty. That's when we get saved. But then he calls us deeper into sanctification, free from the power of sin in our lives. We are born with this human nature. We read about that in that previous passage in Corinthians, right? We are born with this human nature that leads us to be selfish. You never have to teach a baby how to be selfish or a young person how to be selfish, right? It's a part of their human nature. We're naturally just selfish, Right? When we get saved, though, we get put on this new path. In fact, the, the first Christians called themselves followers of the way, right? Because it was a way of living. So when you get saved, you start off on this. Here's the problem, though. You're pulled into two different directions. You are pulled. When you get saved, you're pulled into two different directions. There's the way that you want to go because of your selfish nature. And there is the way that God is calling you to go. And they pull you in opposite directions. Now, here's where you get miserable. You get miserable when you try to satisfy both. When you try to live for God, but you also try to do it your way. It's miserable. And this is where a lot of Christians are after the first healing where you can see. Because you still have that human nature that you're, you're fighting with in your life. This is the place in between touches. This is also the place where God can take you deeper, though, if you want it. If you come to him with all honesty, Lord, I'm struggling. I'm in bondage to this and to this way of doing things, Lord. You have to come to him and ask for that second touch. You have to do it. You have to want it. You have to be honest. You have to confess your sins, the things that you're struggling with, right? Remember that in that passage where Paul is talking to them about being baby Christians. He said, I wanted to talk to you, but you belong to this world. There's some of us in here that, that are perfectly fine with that. This world is, is the most important thing, and it's all about that, right? You're controlled by your sinful nature. You're living like the people of this world. And that's why I said there's so many Christians that look like everybody else, all right? Because that's where they're at. That's just where you're at right now. All right? But there's a second touch. 
There's more beyond that. If you want to live fully for him, he can touch you and give you that freedom from your human nature. He can give you that freedom that lets you live fully for him and not just stuck trying to move and go into two different directions. But here's the final thing it takes, all right? It takes you dying to yourself. It takes you dying to doing it your way. And it takes you saying, Lord, I'm going to live completely for you. You want me to go this way? I'll go this way. I want to go this way, but I'm going to die to that. And I'm going to live fully for that. Let me tell you something. You get into this stage, this is where it gets exciting. This is where it starts to really make sense. This is where you start to see yourself really used by God. This is the scary stuff, though, where God asks you to speak to somebody. But this is also the place a lot of times where you can reach somebody for Christ, that you can be a part of somebody coming to know Him. Right? This is the place where, where God really starts to use you and call you to something. You got to say, I'm done with it. I'm done with doing it. Aren't you sick and tired of trying to do it your way? Is it working out? Honestly, is it working out? It's miserable. I, it's miserable. And let me tell you something. Sometimes you get that second touch, right? Sometimes you die to that, but then sometimes you pick that back up. It is a, it is a daily decision to die to that in order to walk, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. At the end of this passage in verse 34, Mark 8, 34, check out this, what he says. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You've got to die to yourself. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, we'll save it. What good is it for somebody to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? This is the way. Would you stand with me? I told you I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to this call. I want to give you an opportunity to come to this altar. No music, no frills. My friends, there is a second touch available. Some of you are not ready there. You're not ready. But some of you, the Holy Spirit, I'm sure, is speaking to you and is asking you to die to doing it your way and instead to live fully for him. It's going to take a desperation to be able to come forward because it's embarrassing to come up here, right? But the altars are open if you want to come up. If you want me to pray for you, I will, I will pray for you in this. And when you come up, you have to be honest. You have to be honest and confess your sins to the Lord, right? You can talk to me too. It's going to help you through these. Now's the time, though, to come forward. If you need that second touch, if you want to go deeper, if you want to pick up your cross, if you want to lay down your life, this is the most exciting part, my friends. Let me tell you something. If you've already come up here and you've been sanctified and somebody's laid hands on you, you've surrendered your life, but you've picked that back up and you need to rededicate your life, now's the time to come up as well. Maybe you need to get back on track. Maybe you need to lay everything down. 
Now's the time to come. I'll give you just a few seconds to come forward and make that decision. You can come up in the front chairs if you want and stay standing, whatever is easiest for you. But I just want to lay my hands on some people and pray for them. Are you desperate for something different? Or are you tired of doing it your way? Is the Holy Spirit calling you to lay everything down and to live for Him? Do you know Him? Maybe you don't know Him. If you don't know Him, you come grip me. All right? And I'll explain that to you and take you through that step. But maybe God's calling you to go deeper. Let's pray. I'm going to just go around to these people and pray. You can sit down. You can leave. You can do whatever you need to. All right? You can come up and put your hands behind these people and pray for them as well. God bless you. I love you. I want to do communion next week with you. All right? I think it's going to be an awesome opportunity. But will you, if you're staying here, will you just pray for these people and the decisions that are made? All right? Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I just... I pray that these people would give their lives fully and completely to you. I pray that they would pick up their cross and determine today to live for you. Lord, I pray with whatever things that they're struggling with, if there isn't, there might not be, Lord, I pray that you would give them freedom from that bondage. I pray that you would put somebody in their lives that they can confess that and talk to that person about. I pray that you would give them a boldness to do that, Lord. Father, I pray that you would touch them and give them that second sight, though, that clear vision, Lord. I pray that you would use them, that you would call them. I know that there's already people that are being called to by you. Father, I pray that you would just call them deeper. Call them into a deeper place, Lord, that they could be used by you. Father, I pray that they would know that there is no condemnation here. There is no judgment here. There are just people and friends who love them and you understand what they're going through. Lord, I pray that you would bless their lives. Lord, I pray that you would bring godly people into their lives, Lord, that would encourage them and love on them. Father, I pray that you would just open their eyes completely to you, Lord, and that they would live their life fully for you. Lord, I pray if there's anybody that's on the TV that's watching this or is going to be watching this too, Lord, we know that the Holy Spirit is right there with them. And Father, we know that your hands are on them. Lord, Lord, fill them with your Spirit completely full. Refill them. Lord, touch them. Give them a path to walk down. Give them people that are around them that will love on them and be there for them. Father, we love you and give you all praise. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Pray as long as you need. Do whatever you need to. See you next week. Wednesday, Bible study, 630. Anybody needs to talk about anything?